Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of Physics of the Mystics. I know I've been making a lot of you wait because I've heard from so many people through the email and even had people calling me over the telephone telling me how much they appreciate um, the wisdom that I share on the past podcast. And we're finally here to create this brand new podcast with a very exciting subject. So hold on tight to what we're going to talk about and share with you on today's podcast, Physics of the Mystics. Here on this podcast, what we talk about is how physics, modern-day science, is a uh, is, is recognizing age-old wisdom that has already been told to us and shared with us in the godly, eternal wisdom of our holy Torah and the books of Kabbalah and mysticism, how physics intersects with the wisdom of Kabbalah, Hasidus, and Torah. My name is Rabbi Shlomo Ezagui. I'm a rabbi here in South Florida for the last 36 years. I've authored already two books on Maimonides, which is all about law and on spirituality. And now we're going to embrace the connection between the concrete world of law and spirituality through this combination of physics of the mystics. We have people listening from all over the world. I'm so excited about it. We have thousands of listeners that have already downloaded and listened to our past podcasts from all over the world. Let me go through all the countries that um, our platform shows are listening to this podcast. But before we do that, let me remind everybody I have an email. I have that email address of physicsofthemystics at gmail.com. And it means a lot to me when I hear from the listeners. That's my encouragement. They say feedback is the breakfast of champions. And this feedback means a lot to me. The suggestions, um, the uh, uh, um, criticisms, uh, whatever you want to call it. But hearing back in any form whatsoever encourages me to uh, finally get myself together and make today's podcast. We have listeners in Australia and Germany and Ireland and Spain and Belgium, the United States of America, Netherlands, Sweden, Canada, France, Mexico, South Africa, Portugal, Israel, Italy, United Kingdom, Greece, and other. The majority of the listeners so far happen to be in the United States. Thousands of listeners there. Number two, it happens to be Israel, hundreds there. The United Kingdom, hundreds there. Then goes Canada then goes South Africa, and then goes all the other countries that I just mentioned to you, plus, of course, other, which has a couple hundred listeners too. I don't understand why they don't put the name of those other countries, um, but that's the way it's listed on this podcast platform. We spoke about so many exciting subjects already up until now. We talked about panpsychism, and um, we talked about quarks, neutrons, electrons, and we talked about the balance between the protons and the electrons, the positive and the negative. That's what makes a healthy atom. We talked about the protons being a little big, bigger than the, the electrons and the electrons that circle the proton just as a bride circles the groom. We talked about the timelessness of light and God, light which happens to be the most refined expression, physical, concrete expression of the spiritual God, we talked about the science and religion conflict. We talked about hemoglobin, iron and oxygen, the relationship between all of them, right? How hemoglobin carries um, in its uh, um, quartery um, design. 
it carries the iron and um, brings around the oxygen and how that's the source of life. We talked about Feynman, Suskin, Penrose, and Sheldrake. We talked about hydrogen at the core of the sun and how through nuclear fusion, four of those atoms create the heat and the light that go and fire up the entire universe. We talked about um, the oneness of God. We talked about a lot of exciting things. So if this is your first time listening to the show, I encourage you to listen back to all the other episodes and uh, give me your feedback. Like I said a moment ago, it means a lot to me. Today we're going to talk about um, what's very hot in the world of science, and that is how everything is becoming recognized as having an underlying oneness and unity to it. I'm holding in my hand a book from Heinrich Paz, a theoretical physicist in Germany, and he just um, put out a book called The One, How an Ancient Idea Holds the Future of Physics, and he laments in his book that if only we recognize the age-old uh, recognition that underlying everything there is a one um, there's a oneness to it all, as we Jewish people say every single day, twice a day, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, that the one God fills the seven heavens and the one earth in all four different directions. It's really underlying it all. It's just one. Let me tell you how he says it in his own words, this Heinrich Paz. If you'd like to pick up the book, I feel it would be a worthwhile investment in uh, deepening your appreciation in scientific terms, the oneness of God in the world. And that's very encouraging and very strengthening in our life because that deepens our faith in the oneness of God, the same energy that is everywhere that we can connect with. So he says in his book, if we had approved the monistic implications of quantum mechanics, the heritage of a 3,000-year-old philosophy that was embraced in antiquity, persecuted in the Middle Ages, revived in the Renaissance, and tampered with in Romanticism, as early as Everett and Zeh had pointed them out, rather than sticking to the influential quantum pioneer Niels Bohr's pragmatic interpretation, the reduced quantum mechanic to a tool, man, that's a long sentence, we would be further on the way to demystifying the foundations of reality. Right, Niels Bohr, when he was faced with the very paradoxical reality of quantum mechanics, he said, shut up and just calculate, you know, just Take what you can and forget it, what, uh, what you don't understand. But that's a foolish mentality and attitude because um, science is all about probing and, and figuring things out because the better we can figure things out, the better then we can apply ourselves and benefit from those things. So this is what this guy Heinberg Paz is lamenting that, you know, when we recognize what uh, a Nobel Prize was uh, just granted to the recognition of of, of the truth behind uh, super entanglement, which leads us to the realization that really underlying everything, it's only one energy. If we would have recognized that a long time ago, or at least considered that a long time ago, we would be maybe far ahead than, uh, than where we are today. It's interesting that what scientists are considering today, the common thread now seems to be that space and time is not considered fundamental anymore. We're not looking at space and time as the end of it all. And as long as we've figured that out, so we've reached already the core understanding of um, um, existence. Contemporary physics doesn't start with space and time. 
to continue with things that are placed in this pre-existing background. Instead, what scientists are recognizing and considering these days is that space and time themselves are considered products of a more fundamental projector reality. This guy, Nathan Seiberg, who is a leading string theorist at the Institute for Advanced Study of Princeton, New Jersey, he expresses his sentiments by saying, I'm almost certain that space and time are illusions. Imagine, and I'll explain to you what he means when he says space and time are illusions. He goes on to say these are primitive notions that will be replaced by something more sophisticated. And I'm going to share with you what that sophisticated um, idea is all about in today's Physics of the Mystics podcast, which I hope you will um, uh, share with me your feelings and thoughts by sending me an email to physicsofthemystics at gmail.com. In most scenarios, proposing emergent space-times, entanglement is playing the fundamental role. Philosopher of science Rasmus Jaxland, he points out that this eventually implies that there is no individual objects in the universe anymore, that everything is connected with everything else. Welcome to the world of Torah, my friend, Rasmus Jaxlin. That's exactly where our Torah tells us, that it's all one. That FS Beloda, there's nothing else but that one. Adopting entanglement as the world, making relation comes at the price of giving up separability. But those who are ready to take this step should perhaps look to entanglement for the fundamental relation with which to constitute this world and perhaps all the other possible ones. That was the conclusion of this Rasmus Jackson point. But um, that's not exactly true because even recognizing that super entanglement unites the whole world as one, but as the Torah tells us, that one expresses itself in the different elements of you and me, which is very real and to some degree separate from each other. So it's a funny kind of a balance that while you and me are very different and separate from each other, yet there is an underlying relationship between you and me that we're all one and that what you do will affect me in some kind of a way, maybe in a distant way, maybe sometimes even in a more uh, powerful and immediate way. But there is there is a very real separateness. And yet at the same time, that emerges out of the real one that unites you and me together. Right. Pretty, pretty kind of crazy stuff. This guy Heinrich Pazzi says in his book, properly understood, entanglement implies that the universe is monistic. As philosophers call it, that on the most fundamental level, everything in the universe is part of a single unified whole. That's the real point that he, he tries to make in his book, Heinrich Paz. Decades ago, researchers such as Hugh Everett and Dierizer showed how our daily life reality can emerge out of such a universal quantum mechanical description. Just recently, researchers like Leonard Susskind and Sean Carroll, they're developing ideas on how this hidden quantum reality might explain not only matter, but also the fabric of space and time, which we are going to talk a little bit about today, space and time, which is what brings us 
to this oneness um, underlying everything. What basically is so exciting in all this um, wisdom and more recent um, consideration and discovery of quantum theorists and scientists is that really what exists is quantum mechanics. That's the real reality to understand everything of our existence. Newtonian mechanics is just a good approximation. It's really a very limited and finite appreciation of the underlying more fundamental quantum universe. Isn't that incredible, mind-blowing? So before we get into this a little bit more deeply, let me just like go back a little bit and share with you an age-old consideration. The age-old consideration is the following question, which goes all the way back to Pythagoras and Euclid and Plato and Aristotle and all these age-old great big Greek wise people are objects in space and moving through time? Or is space and time somehow in the objects and their connections? What do I mean by that? Is space a real entity that exists independent to the objects that are inside of it? Or is space a network of positional relationships of objects? That's really the question. Now, many of you maybe never thought of this little um, difference in looking and in understanding um, the universe, but this is an age-old philosophical and as well um, scientific, very serious, um, important um, consideration. Is there a space, an independent space, in which all the objects and time um, operates? Or there is no real space as an entity of its own in which there are objects and time. But really, objects are defined by their relationship to each other, and that becomes the space based on the objects and their relationship to each other. Um, okay, so that's that's really the question. And that's a question, really, that um, age-old books of Hasidus and Kabbalah have already addressed and dealt with based on the statements of our sages a long time ago. And I'm going to share with you on today's podcast just some of that um, discussion and debate that goes on in our great holy books and demonstrate that these ideas that the scientists are grappling with have already been addressed and dealt with hundreds and thousands of years ago if they would only study those books and they wouldn't have to waste their time having to go and reinvent the wheel. Now, a long, long time ago, to be a somewhat, you know, we're talking about on this podcast, Physics of the Mystics, so let's talk just a teeny little bit about science and physics, even though I'm no physicist and I'm no scientist, but from a layman's educated perspective, let's go back a little bit to the times of um, Plato, and let's go back to the times of Newton, which is a couple, uh, let's say, let me take a wild guess, about a thousand years after Plato, right? Um, maybe even more so, 1,500 years, maybe even 2,000 years after Plato was Newton. But basically, they both agreed on the idea that space and time is absolute. There is a space, there's an absolute time, and it is in that framework that everything operates. 
And then there was Leibniz, and um, he did not agree with Newton. And his idea was that everything that exists is all relationship to each other. And then based on the relationship between objects, that's where we have the space. Pythagoras and Euclid, you know, when they had um, uh, their geometry of um, of uh, of triangles and whatever else it is, they really didn't look so much or didn't need to look um, at, at space in a way that Plato and Newton explained space because it was more of a relationship angle and um, uh, kind of understanding of the way geometry and the world worked. But then came along, of course, the coordinated grid that science started to um, base a lot of their understanding of space. And this was, of course, the Cartesian coordinated system. And that somewhat changed even the um, memory of, um, uh, of, of Pythagoras and Euclid and perhaps the uh, um, uh, theories of Leibniz because we started to see space as being its own place. And, um, and it was based on that Cartesian coordinated system that we started to uh, uh, view um, um, the world and the universe around us. Then came Einstein, and he started giving us his special theory of relativity and, um, and his general theory of relativity, which is somewhat of an in-between um, uh, making space an absolute space and um, and making space a relationship space, right? Um, it, it, space is very real, um, but it warps itself and time is real, but it's also relative. So Einstein came and gave us a somewhat in-between understanding or idea to relate to space and time. Okay, well, I hope you're coming along with me up until this point. The most important point is the conclusion of Torah and its wisdom, which is really the point of our podcast. So let me share with you a statement that is made in Medrash. In the Medrash, it is written, Hine Mokoim Iti. What does it mean, Hine Mokoim Iti? In the portion of the uh, Torah, which we'll be reading, God willing, next week, the portion of Kisisa, we say, Hine Mokoim Iti, place is in me is with me and in me and the medrash explains that verse and it says asori tefelali the ain ani tofel asori that's pretty powerful words to understand how the torah views space and time and the world the medrash says place is um secondary it's subsumed um, within me and it's not that i and secondary to space. Time is time and space is in me, and it's not that I am in space or I am in time. Let me go to 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 the uh, to a book which is called um, the Sefer HaIkrim. The Sefer HaIkrim was written by um, a great rabbi by the name of Rabbi Yosef Albo. It's interesting, and um, when he talks about um, the most important principles that a Jew should believe in, he has a somewhat of a different opinion than the Rambam, Maimonides, but that's a whole different other subject in itself. But in that book of the Sefer Ho'ikrim, Rabbi Yosef Albo, he lived um, approximately around the year 1400, just to give you some perspective over here. 
So he says that there are two um, positions, two considerations that we can think about when it comes to space. He says there is one position that a person can consider, and that is that um, space is relationship. Um, as as one of the considerations that I just shared with you right now, that Leibniz was a great uh, um, he was he he was the great holder of that flag. That it's uh, that there is no um, separate uh, um, identity that we can relate to as space, but it's all really relationship. Um, the way one thing relates with the other, that's the space that there is, and that's it. There is nothing else besides that. Rabbi Yosef Albo, he says, no, the real way to understand space is that sp- there is an absolute space that is behind everything. There is an absolute space that out of that space and in that space is where everything exists. And these two two opinions, and, and, and hold on to your pants, everybody, because you're going to see where we're going with all this discussion. These these different opinions are also brought down in a book called Emek HaMelech. Emek HaMelech, which means the depth of the king, was written um, by a rabbi in like the 1600s um, in Germany. And um, this rabbi was a student. <laughs> okay, let me give you some background. This rabbi, Naftali Hertz, he was a student of another rabbi, Yisrael Sirug, um, who was a student of the Arizal, the great Rabbi Yitzhak Luria. And um, so this Emek HaMelech, which is a book that is quoted um, quite often, quite frequently in Hasidic discourses, he explains that what is space? Space is the infinite light of God that became concretized, and it's what surrounds the entire space in which there is the universe, And he describes it in more metaphysical terms, and he calls it the Eagle Hagodol, the great circle. This is the way we have to understand what space is. They recognize the debate that there is out there. But according to his teacher, and his teacher who was a student of the Arizal, who was the great um, Kabbalist and uh, doctor and, 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 and scholar of spirituality, that's the real way to understand space. Then there's another book, which is the Likutei Torah of the Arizal. So this Likutei Torah of the Arizal, which was written by Rabbi Chaim Vital, Rabbi Chaim Vital was also a student of the Arizal. So you have the Arizal who lived in the 1500s, the great master of mysticism who lived in Tzfas. So he had a student of Chaim Vital, and then he had another student who was Yisrael Sibrug. And they didn't always agree on what the teacher the Arizal taught. But at least in this sense over here, in the Likutei Torah of the Arizal, which is written by Rabbi Chaim Vital, so there it's explained that, you know what space is? Space is the empty space in which all the worlds, spiritual worlds and physical worlds, since the physical worlds are an outgrowth of the spiritual world, that is how you have to understand space. So, Space, let's put that aside right now, right? Even though you, um, even though the the scientists and all the secular uh, wise men try to define 
how should we relate to space, right? Whether it's relationship or whether it's absolute. I just shared with you from these great big spiritual sources that space needs to be understood as a space of its own. Today in quantum physics, they may want to call it the quantum field, the quantum vacuum um, uh, from which everything um, rises. And especially after electromagnetic field was discovered. So we started to steer ourselves more to the fact that there is a field out there, right? That is just um, uh, not defined as any particular place from which it gives rise to certain energies which turn into forces. And so we are, we are recognizing that idea that underneath everything is um, an underlying force. Uh, and it has many, you can look at it as having many different layers, but the truth is, it's not even um, uh, um, an energy force that has many different layers that are on top of each other, but it's and it's not even intertwined with each other. It's a force that carries within itself beyond a way that we can understand all the forces and all the energy that gives rise later on to the quarks and to um, the neutrons and to the electrons and to everything that we have in this universe. This is this is the way the the Torah tells us um, you, we need to understand um, the, the way we view the universe in in quantum physics. So there's been this this debate, and there still is there this, this debate. When we look at quantum mechanics, and we understand that everything there is um, undetermined, it's more of a wave of possibilities where, for example, the metaphor is used, the cat can be alive and dead both at the same time, right? So the question was, um, um, is this um, a state in which um, everything is just not known to us and there are these separate possibilities that later on we discover through observing it, or is it um, essentially... Um, in a state of, of of where there is nothing to be defined from which everything starts giving rise to it. So th this is what the Nobel Prize was awarded to the conclusion that really, essentially and fundamentally, down at the source of energy, there in the world of the uh, micro-quantum physics, there is an there is an undetermined definition to um, to the energy that exists over there, and it's from that indeterminate, all possibilities, place of energy that uh, the quarks and the different forces and the different particles and the energy gives rise to mass, and this is what's the incredible this is what the incredible realization that today's um, um, uh, uh, um, uh, theoretical physicists and scientists are looking at. But as I just shared with you from the book, um, Amik HaMelech and the, 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 the Sefer HaIkrim and the Lakute Torah of the Arizal, these are all ideas that based on the great, um, based on the great minds and on, on, and on the inspiration of our Torah, we have already concluded that idea a long time ago. So when Heinrich Paz and when the other 
philosophical scientists, um, they, they, they suggest that, you know, it's going to bring us to uh, conclusions that um, we're going to have to, like, learn to now adapt ourselves to it. There's nothing new as far as when you are a student of the Torah and you are a student of mysticism, and when so many different laws that we are uh, um, uh, 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 that we are applying and using on a regular basis, it's nothing new to a person who is a student of the Kabbalah and a student of the Torah. So this is um, a a uh, a little bit of some of today's uh, wisdom that we're sharing with you on 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 the physics of the mystics. It's to wet your tongue, and if there's something you'd like me to uh, to uh, talk more about and to uh, expand upon, uh, I'm going to leave it at this for today's podcast. Since I promised two people that I was going to do a podcast today, I, I thought I need to keep my promise because that's something else that is very, very powerful, and that's the power power of words, right? Because everything that we do creates a very real repercussion of true energy in the world that will make a difference in um, our own surrounding and as a result will impact the entire universe. And we learned that from this week's Torah portion, that because Moses, when he was trying to plead with God to forgive the Jewish people, Moses says to God, if you're not going to forgive the Jewish people, that's what kind of a leader Moses was for the Jewish people. Moses is to the Jewish people. He was the real leader, the captain of the boat that doesn't jump off first and saves his own skin, but he stayed there to the end until everybody else was attended to and um, and saved from any, um, uh, any threat um, um, of safety. Moses, he says to God, listen, God, if you don't, uh, forgive the Jewish people, you might as well take my name out of your Torah. I don't belong with your Torah. And um, if, if, if you're not going to be able to extend your mercy and give the Jewish people a second chance, because of those words that Moses um, enunciated, even though the Jewish people were finally forgiven, but because he said those words, erase me from your book. So that left a little bit of an impression where in this week's Torah portion, his name is not mentioned. So we learn from that the incredible power of words that when a person says something, it has a real impact on him and on his surroundings. As a matter of fact, the, 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 the general rule in the Torah is that vows um, all, all the mitzvahs in the Torah um, are become an obligation to men who are 13 years old and to women who are 12 years old. But the power of vows is so strong that they even start to have an impact um, when they're generated by boys even before they're 13 and by girls even before they're 12. So we, we, we learn there's a tremendous impact on everything that we do and that we're just not independent beings. You know, some people say, let me do what I want to. It's my own life and do what I want to. Now, what we're learning from today's quantum mechanics and quantum physics um, and from the theory that underlying everything, it's really one space. That one space is all interrelated to each other. That one space is an expression to the 
energy of God that expresses itself in what he desired to make out of this universe. That's what mysticism tells us. God decided to make a universe and he created a space out of himself, which is inside of him. So this space, which is inside of God, and therefore it's always an extension of God, is where the world and the universe was created. The universe and the world is an expression out of that space, which is really a piece of God. And so you can see how everything that you do in a very simple way is felt and known by God. It's no big deal for God to know about what's going on in the world, just like it's no big deal for you to know what's going down at the pinking of your toe when one cell or one atom is affected in some positive or negative way. You feel it right away in your entire body, in your brain, and, 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 you, and you feel it instantly. You don't have to pay any attention to what's going on uh, down at the pinky of your toe because it's really all you. The same is also with the entire universe and the entire world. It's all really just an expression of God. There is godliness in everything, and everything is connected to God, and therefore God knows what's going on everywhere. And all of our expressions are all felt by God immediately and can be responded to immediately, right? So that's that's really the 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 bottom line of uh, what we get out of this um, uh, awareness. So I shared with you a whole bunch of stuff, and it, it's uh, maybe a bit a lot to digest. And you may need to hear um, the podcast all over a second time to get all the nuances and different ideas that I'm sharing with you. But what I would really appreciate is that our dear listeners from, as I just mentioned before, all over the world in the thousands will share with me an email and tell me that they like my show, they don't like this show, they want to ask me to expand upon what I talked about today or in the past, and that will be my encouragement to continue doing these incredible podcasts. So until next time, ciao. All the very best to everybody.